Welcome. If you're a guest this morning, thank you for joining us. Um, and I pray that uh, you feel, feel very welcome this morning. My name is Nathan Heiner, a pastor here at Country Oaks. And if you would, turn with me to Luke chapter 2, verse 21. And I know what you're thinking. We are in Luke, so starting over. I, I talked to, uh, it was Emily and Zach that told Craig, that told me that you guys have, since you, you haven't been, or you've, we've been in Luke ever since you've been married. Yeah, we're still in Luke. But we're almost done. Starting over. I'm just joking. I, I, I know you might be also thinking that, hey, I thought we were going to have a Christmas sermon this morning. Isn't Luke uh, chapter 2, verse 21 after Jesus' birth? Well, yes, but uh, just uh, um, stick with me this morning. I, I really wanted to talk about the reason why we celebrate Christmas. The reason why we celebrate Christmas, and I know we hear that a lot, the reason for the season or the re- real reason for Christmas, that it's not about Santa Claus or shopping or gifts or Christmas trees. But I, I want to be clear this morning, we, we could miss the reason for Christmas by just looking at Mary, Joseph, the wise men, the shepherd, the angel, and a baby in the manger. The real reason for Christmas is Jesus Christ the Savior of the world. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. So if you would, look at uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 21. And if you're, if you're new, if, if you're not a Christian this morning and you don't know uh, much about Scripture, this is, this is going to be a perfect sermon for you to explain why we're here, like why, why we do what we do as Christians, and why, again, we celebrate Christmas. So look at Luke chapter 2, verse 21. It says this, And at the end of eight days... When he was circumcised, he was named Jesus, the name given by the angels before he was conceived in the womb. Right? Jesus was circumcised on the eighth day, which was custom for Jews. This was actually law in the Old Testament, meaning Mary and Joseph were just being faithful parents, obedient to God's law by, by having Jesus circumcised on the eighth day. And look at verse 22. It says, And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said by the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. This is found in Leviticus 12, uh, where it tells the, the, the parents to bring a lamb to sacrifice. Um, but if you couldn't afford a lamb, you could bring two pigeons. You could offer two pigeons, which shows that Mary and Joseph were not a wealthy couple. They were a young, poor, married couple, trying to be faithful to the Lord. And look at verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. We don't know much about Simeon, we know two things for sure in this passage, and it's about all we know, is that he was a righteous and devout man. We know that, and we also know that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Verse 25 says, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And I first, it's actually what drew me to this passage. When I first heard that, I, I just wanted to know what the consolation of Israel meant. 
The passage makes it clear that he was waiting for the Messiah. So it's clear that the constellation of Israel was the Messiah. But that's a weird phrase, isn't it? Constellation. All I could think of in, was a, a consolation prize, like what you give to people when they don't get first or second. Um, I honestly didn't even know what the word meant, so I, I looked it up in English. Constellation, this is what it says in uh, the dictionary, the act of consoling, which that makes sense. The state of being consoled or comfort, comforted. And that fits well with the Greek. As I looked up the Greek word, it's uh, paraklesin, paraklesin, which is used 29 times in the New Testament in Greek. Eight of those times, it's translated encouragement. But 12 of those times, the, the majority of the times it's translated, the translators use the word comfort. Comfort. Therefore, the, the consolation of Israel could be just translated the comfort of Israel. Simeon was waiting for the comfort or the one that will bring comfort to the nation of Israel, the Messiah. And this word, paraklesin, consolation is translated consolation or it's translated comfort in the New Testament. It's actually an Old Testament word. It's an Old Testament idea. We see, see this word a lot in the Old Testament and especially in the book of Isaiah. And I know what you're thinking. Isn't the Old Testament written in Hebrew? Well, yes, it is. But it was translated into Greek uh, before the New Testament was written. And this Old Testament translation into Greek is, is called the Septuagint. And the New Testament authors use the Septuagint, the, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, a lot. And Isaiah used this word, paraklesin, comfort, 25 times in, in his book, and, and most of those times were found in Isaiah chapter 40 through 66. Isaiah 40 through 66. So therefore, most scholars, as I was studying and just trying to figure out what this phrase meant, believe that this phrase comes from, from this passage, that the consolation of, of Israel, the comfort of Israel, specifically comes from Isaiah 40, verse 1, which says, Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Does that sound familiar to anyone? Yes, I heard a yes. You say, ah. I figured. Um, that's the first line in the Messiah, Handel's Messiah. It was sung here uh, December 14th. Isaiah 40, uh, verse 1, is the very first word sung in, in Handel's Messiah. Comfort, comfort, my people. So if you would, actually, let's turn there. Turn to Isaiah 40, verse 1. I want to look at this passage. As you guys are turning there, let me just give you some context of what's going on. I'm just doing a personal um, study in Isaiah uh, as a devotion um, in the mornings. And um, uh, the, the first... 39 chapters of Isaiah, right? Chapters 1 through 39 is just mostly judgment. Judgment. Right? It opens, actually, right off the bat with a, with a lawsuit against Israel. The, that, that Israel has broken the covenant. Covenant just means this relationship that they had with God, this, this promise that they had with each other. They, they've sinned against God. They've been unfaithful to God. Therefore, judgment is coming to the nation of Israel. And as you go through these first 39 chapters, you realize that judgment is not just coming to Israel. It's coming to the nations. It's coming to the world. 
first 39 chapters is, is mostly judgment, but then you get to chapter 40, and the tone completely changes. Look at what it says in Isaiah 40, verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. I mean, in the first 39 chapters, there's just this judgment that's coming because Israel is a, is a nation of sinners. But in Isaiah 40, there's this promise of this future comforting of God's people, a future peace that Israel will find. And God, God tells Isaiah to, to, to comfort my people. He's telling them of a future salvation that's coming. And verse 2 says this, Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that warfare is ended. I like that verse 2, speak tenderly to Jerusalem. It's, it gives this idea of like a loving parent speaking tenderly to a child in distress. And God says, tell her, tell her that her warfare is ended. I mean, the distress, the sorrow, the pain, the grief that war brings is over. Why, why is this warfare over? We'll look at the second part of verse 2. It says that her iniquity is pardoned. It's clear in chapters 1 through 39 that there is war and distress and promise of war and promise of destruction and pain and suffering that was all brought about because of sin. Sin was the problem. And it's always been the problem of Israel throughout the whole Old Testament. But soon, look what it says in verse 2, but soon her iniquity, her sin is pardoned. Her, her sins will be forgiven. And that forgiveness will bring peace and comfort. Comfort. Look at verse, the last part of verse 2. It says this, that, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. In other words, judgment is over. It's going to be over so much so that, that it, this is what God says. It says, she has received double for all of her sins. In, in other words, this is, I believe, in, in commentators as I was reading this, hyperbolic language, right? Like an exaggeration. This is, this is how much judgment is going to be over. It just means like Israel's sins is completely and totally paid for. So much so that it's like they've been paid for twice. And there's a mystery here because uh, Scripture is very clear that Israel owed an eternal debt, like infinite price. So how could such a high price get paid off? Well, that mystery is not answered until Isaiah 53, and we'll come back to that. But the point here is salvation is coming. Forgiveness of sins is coming. Peace and comfort is coming. And that's what Simeon is waiting for. The consolation of Israel, the comfort of Israel. Turn back with me now to Luke chapter 2, verse 25. Luke chapter 2, verse 25. And if you're new this morning, the, the um, verses are going to be on the screen. So I want you to see what Scripture says. I mean, as you guys are turning there, I just want you to think about this. If, if, if you're not a Christian this morning or if you don't know much about Christianity, I mean, think about how many people celebrate Christmas and just think about the dating system. I mean, we, we're, it's 2018 because 2018 years ago, a man walked this face of this earth. 
I mean, this is important, right? We know why this is so important. <laughs> so just look at chapter 2, verse 25. It says this. Now there is a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was a righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, waiting for that comfort that we talked about in Isaiah 40, waiting for the Messiah, this, this, this man to come. And look what it says in the second part of verse 25. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. Verse 26. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he has seen the Lord's Christ. That's the Greek word for Messiah. It's the same word, Christ and Messiah. That before you die, Simeon, he is, somehow he, he was told this. It was revealed by God. Before you die, you're going to see the Messiah, right? the comfort that's promised to Israel. Look at verse 27. And he came into the spirit in the temple. And when his parents brought the child Jesus right, to do for him, according to the, uh, the custom of the law, he took, took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, now, now. Verse 29, it says, Lord, now. But that word Lord in the Greek is actually in the very end of the verse. The very first word that's spoken uh, by Simeon is now, now. In, in Greek, it's noon. In, in Latin, it's nuke. Nuke. And I say it in Latin, it's nuke, because in the history of the church, there's, the song has been called the nuke uh, dimitis. Nuke being the main word. Now, now I, I may be dismissed, he's saying. I may be released. Simeon took Jesus in his arms and said, now. Because Simeon's been waiting waiting for the consolation of Israel. And Simeon knows his Old Testament really well, and he knows that the Old Testament has been waiting, waiting for this comfort, waiting for this peace, waiting for the consolation of Israel. Starting in Genesis 3, right? When sin entered into this world, when Eve was tempted by the serpent, by Satan, when she took the fruit and ate, and, and she sinned, she rebelled against God, and then, and then handed that fruit to Adam, her husband, and he ate, right? The first sin, when sin entered into this world. Ever since that point, right? In that point in history, ever since then, mankind has been at war. War with each other, right? Just look at the history. Just watch the news. War, death, murder, War, war with God. Romans 5.10 says that we are enemies. We are born enemies to God. War, warfare within our own souls. James 4.1 says, What causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? From this point on in Genesis 3, when, when sin entered in creation, there was no peace, there was no comfort. Actually, I want to look at this. Turn to Genesis 3 for me. Genesis 3, verse 7. I know we go to Genesis 3 so much, but it's important. Right? If we, to know the solution, we've got to know the problem, and the problem starts in Genesis 3. Genesis 3, verse 7 said this. says this. Then the eyes of both, right? This is Adam and Eve. Then the eyes of both were open, and they knew they were naked. I mean, they were naked before they sinned, but after they sinned, they knew 
They knew they were naked. They, they felt shame about their nakedness, and that's why we wear clothes. Man was born with guilt and, and true guiltiness, not just the feeling of guiltiness, but that we are truly guilty before a holy God. And, and because of that, we have shame. We, we are born into guilt and shame. And I just was thinking about this as I was studying and, and going back to this passage as we do over and over again. What do you think Eve felt? I mean, how do you think she felt? We know that, that, the, that the Bible makes it very clear that Adam is to blame for the original sin that, that came into the world. But there's a lot about Eve in the, in the beginning passage. How did she, I mean, she felt, she experienced paradise. I mean, she had pure comfort. She had everything. God gave her everything, and she blew it. Shame, guilt, regret, fear. But thankfully, right, God's a merciful God. And right, right from the beginning, and, and sin enters the world in chapter 3, and right in chapter 3, we see God's mercy and a promise he makes to Eve, right? A future hope, a future peace, a future comfort, a promise that's found in verse 15. Look at verse 15, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. It says this, I will put enmity between you. This is, this is a curse on the serpent, serpent, so that you as the serpent, this is the devil. I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring, a seed that, that you are, and her offspring, a seed. That word in Hebrew is just seed, right? But it means offspring. Right? And I don't you think about that for a second. In, in biology, right, who has the seed, the man or the woman? Man, why is this not talked to Adam? Why is it the seed of the woman? Well, as we get close to Christmas, who's the only woman that has ever lived that had a baby without a seed from a man? This is pointing to Mary. This is pointing to Jesus, the seed that is coming, Jesus. Her, her seed, the seed of the woman, shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Let me just real quick, too. If a, if a serpent and poisons a snake bruise your heel, what happens? Bites you. You die, right? To, to bruise the serpent's head, and I like the NIV's translation of this. It actually says to crush the serpent's head. Right? The seed of the woman must die. This is the first gospel. It's, it's hope. It's hope to, to Eve. A seed is coming that will redeem Eve, that will redeem mankind, that will redeem creation, that will bring peace and comfort by crushing the serpent's head by reversing the effects of sin that were brought into this world. And from this point on, from this point on, chapter 3 on, the Old Testament is waiting. He's waiting, waiting for this coming seed, waiting for this, this coming hope, waiting for this, this comfort, comfort, this coming comfort. I mean, look at Genesis 4. Genesis 4, verse 1. Now, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. That phrase there in Hebrew, there's like an excitement. I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Why do you think Eve's so excited? She thought Cain was the promised seed. She thought Cain was going to be the one that redeemed her, that crushed the serpent's head, that brought peace, that brought comfort, but we know the story of Cain and Abel, right? She was wrong. 
Cain wasn't the promised seed. He was a murderer, right? Cain murdered his younger brother Abel out of, out of jealousy. And we see the effects of sin in one chapter, right? One chapter, murder, jealousy, and, and war within the family. And I know as Christmas is coming up, as know as Christmas is coming up and, and, and the holidays have been around here, that a lot of you have war within the family. It's because of sin. There's no peace, no comfort. Where's this promise hope? Where's this promise seed? Well, look at verse 25 in chapter 4. Genesis 4, verse 25. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed me for me another offspring. And again, that word seed, another seed. Instead of Abel, for Cain has killed him. Abel's dead because Cain killed him, and Cain's a murderer, so they're not the seeds. To Seth also a son was born, and, and, and he called his name Enosh. In other words, Adam has a son, Seth. Seth has a, a son, Enosh, and, and he has a son, and he has a son. The seed is getting passed down. And look at the end of verse 26. Because this is interesting. It says this, at this time, in other words, at this time, the, the birth of, of Seth and Enosh, at this time, the people began to call upon the name of Yahweh. All capital letters, right? Your, the Lord. Right? Something special is happening. The author is showing us something special is happening with these births. And the special thing that's happening is there's a future hope, a future peace, a future seed that is coming. And that's why the very next chapter in Genesis 5 is a genealogy. Right? The hope is coming. The seed is coming. The, the comfort is coming. And Adam has a son. Seth, Seth has a son. Enosh, he has a son. He has a son. He has a son. He has a son until we get to Noah, right? In the time of Noah. And there is no peace. There is no comfort. There's only evil, war, murder, and sin. It's with Genesis 6-5, and I just love how the New Living Translation says this, but Genesis 6-5 says this, The Lord observed at the extent of human wickedness on the earth and saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. Therefore, God says, "I'm, I'm taking them out. And sends a worldwide flood, destroying everything except one family, Noah and his family. Why? Because there is still hope. A seed is still coming, and and the seed gets passed down to Noah's son, Shem, and Shem has a son, and his son has a son, and his son has a son, and his son has a son, until we get to Abram, who becomes Abraham, and Abraham has a son, Isaac, and, and Isaac has a son, Jacob, and Jacob has 12 sons who become the 12 tribes of Israel. And these 12 tribes have many, many, many sons until they become the nation of Israel. Exodus 1-7 says this, the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. These 12 boys, this one family became a great nation. But there was no peace. Right? There is no comfort. Why? Because they're slaves in Egypt. So God raises up Moses, right, to free his people and gives them, gives them freedom and they're out in the wilderness and then gives them the law, shows them how they should live and then lives with them. He dwells with them. He tabernacles with them. 
then promises them a land flowing with milk and honey. Listen, he promises them a new Eden if they would just trust God, if they would obey his commandments. But just like Adam and Eve, they failed. Before they even got to the promised land, they worshiped a false god, a calf. Breaking the first and second commandment, they sinned. And inside the promised land, right, we know this, they sinned over and over and over and over and over again, bringing upon themselves war and destruction. Read the book of Judges. This is just one of the ugliest books there are in all of Scripture. You get to the end of the book of Judges, and, and Israel is so messed up with sin. It just gets so bad that they look exactly like Sodom and Gomorrah. It like parallels the story, Sodom and Gomorrah and the end of Judges. They're no different than the most evil nations of the world. There is no comfort, right? In the book of Judges, there's just war, death, rape, and murder. So Israel cries out to the Lord, cries out to God, and says, if we only had a king like the other nations... We, then we'll have comfort. So God gave him a king like the other nations. Gave him Saul, who was a horrible king, who failed to bring comfort. But then again, in God's mercy, he gives him a king unlike all the kings of the other nations. Gives him a man, a king that's a man after God's own heart. A man from the genealogies found in Genesis. A man who slays Goliath, right? A giant who wore armor like a serpent. Scaled armor, it says in 1 Samuel 17, 5. And David kills him by, by crushing in his forehead with a rock, right? It says it sunk into his forehead and crushed his head. What's that sound like? Genesis three fifteen, And the people thought the wait's over, right? The hope of Genesis 3.15 is finally here. This is, this is the seed. This is the promised seed. He's going to bring the promised comfort. And we learn quickly that he's not the seed, right? David was a sinner, an adulterer, and just like Cain, a murderer. End of David's life, there, there is no comfort in Israel. But again, in God's mercy, God promises David a seed. A seed. Second Samuel uh, chapter 7, God promises David and Israel a future king that will, that, that, that will bring peace and comfort, an everlasting kingdom, and he'll come from the line of David. David's family, David's offspring, a, a future seed, a son of David. In other words, there's still hope. A son of David is coming. So David has a son, Solomon. Solomon has a son, Rehoboam. Rehoboam has a son. He has a son. He has a son. He has a son. And they are all kings. This is the book of First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles. When you think about it, they're just nothing but big genealogies. Pointing to a future king, a future kingdom, a future peace and comfort. But we learn from these books that most of the kings were evil. And they led Israel and Judah to rebel against the God, to, to worship false gods, to sin. And therefore, just like Adam and Eve, God kicks them out of the promised land. He kicks them out of the new Eden. 
and they become captives of Babylon. And everything seems so. But I just want you to th- just think about that, right? This, this, this nation Israel with this rich history that knows they have sinned over and over and over again, and it knows that God finally said, okay, you're out of here. And now Israel has no land. They're out of the promised land. They have no king. They have no kingdom. They have no temple. They're just slaves in a foreign country. But listen, there is hope. This is the context of Isaiah 40, verse 1. God commands Isaiah in chapter 40 to write to Israel, to write to the captives in Babylon and say, comfort, comfort my people as your God. Comfort is coming, in other words. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Cry to her that her warfare is ending. All the warfare, all the murder, all the ugliness, all the sin. The history of Israel is ending because her iniquity is pardoned. Comfort is coming because salvation is coming, in other words. The forgiveness of sins is coming. And that's why Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. The comforter of Israel. He was waiting for the salvation that has been promised throughout the whole Old Testament. Listen, that day when Simeon took up in his arms the baby Jesus and blessed God and said, now. He was saying, the waiting is over. Salvation is here. The Old Testament is fulfilled. Thousands of thousands of years of waiting is over. The seed of the woman is here. The son of David is here. The consolation of Israel is here. Listen, this is why we celebrate Christmas. This is why we celebrate Christmas. When when Mary gave birth to that baby in the stable, the waiting was over. Jesus was here. Turn back to me with me to Luke chapter two, verse twenty-eight. Luke chapter two, verse twenty-eight. Again, it's Simeon. He took up in his arms that. The baby Jesus. I just think about that. Could you could you just imagine right, the Messiah, the, the 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 hope of Israel, right? The Comforter that that was promised. The whole Old Testament pointed to to this day to this baby, the Creator of the universe, in His arms, and blessed God and said, "Now, now." Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace. There's finally peace. It's a major theme in, in Luke, actually, especially in the beginning. There is finally peace. Let me ask a question. I know there's a lot of guests this morning. I don't know where your relationship is with the Lord. But are you looking for peace this morning? Are you looking for comfort this morning? Look at what Simeon says. The the waiting is over. The consolation of Israel is here. He says this, according to your words, verse 30, for my eyes have seen your salvation. In other words, peace and comfort is here. It's here. 
because salvation is here. Let me ask this, and don't raise your hand. Just answer this within your, your own soul. How many of you this morning have absolutely no peace within your soul? Have absolutely no comfort? In your soul, all you have is distress, sorrow, guilt, shame, regret, fear. The Bible is very clear on this, and I want to listen to me. This, you have to understand this. The Bible is very clear. It's because of sin. It's because of sin. The effects of sin on a fallen world, so death, decay, our bodies falling apart. The effects of sin by others as, as we get sinned against and we get hurt by those that we love. But more than anything else, the sin that's within our own heart. Romans 3, 20, 23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The Bible is clear that we are all sinners. We are born into that guilt and shame and sin that, that was started by our forefathers, Adam and Eve. We deserve God's wrath, not his mercy, not his peace, not his comfort. But here's the good news, right? That's what the gospel means, good news. God sent his son, Jesus, to pay the price of sin. To pay the price of sin so that our iniquities, that's sin, so that our iniquities could be pardoned. Right? That's Isaiah 40. Remember I said that was a mystery that wasn't, it wasn't revealed till Isaiah 53? How could God pardon Israel's sin? How could God pardon an infinite sin? Every sin, we all owe an infinite debt. How could God pardon that debt? Well, Isaiah 50 verse 4 tells us, 53 verse 4, it says this, and you can see it on the board. Surely he, this is talking about Jesus, surely Jesus has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. In other words, he has carried our sin. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced on the cross for our transgressions, our sins. He was crushed for our iniquities. Right? Jesus died on the cross for our sins. That's why we can't forget the cross during this time of year. Listen, you want peace and comfort this morning? Verse 5 says this, Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have all turned, everyone, all of us, to our own way. We have all sinned. We have all rebelled against God. And the Lord has laid upon him, upon Jesus, the iniquities of all. I want to be as clear as I can. Listen, the wages of sin is death. Scripture makes that clear, Romans 6.23. And death is not just dying. This is the second death. This is eternity in hell. Therefore, God sent his son, Jesus, to die for us, to die and save us. Jesus took our place on the cross so that our sins may be paid for, may be pardoned for all those who believe. For all those who truly trust God with their lives. For all those that follow him. John 3.16 says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Romans 10.9 says this, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart 
that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You want comfort this morning? Confess your sins to God and put your faith in his son. Put your faith in the the consolation of Israel, the comforter, the one that brings comfort. Listen, this is good news. This is good news. Your sins can be forgiven. This God of mercy that we see mercy throughout the whole Old Testament is offering you mercy this morning. It's offering you grace. It's offering you to be a part of his family. Put your faith in him this morning. Listen, I want to look at Simeon's son, and, and, and we'll be done. And there's, there's three truths I want to look at. And the first one is to the individual. If you don't know Jesus this morning, listen, this, this first truth is to you. Look at verse 29. We already said it. It says, Lord, now, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Listen, Jesus is that salvation. All you have to do is put your faith in him. Trust in him. Stop trusting in yourself to find comfort, joy, and peace. Put your faith in him and trust him. Listen, if you came because a relative took you this morning or, or, or you have a friend that invited you, don't, don't leave without talking to him about this peace. If you want to talk with me, I'd love to talk with you after the service this morning. I don't care if you're from Tehachapi or not. Talk with someone about this. Talk to God about this. Repent to him, which means confess your sins, turn from them, and trust in him and what his son has done on the cross. That's the first truth. There's peace offered to the individual. There's salvation offered to you this morning. But the second one is to us as a church. And the second point I want to look at is to us as a church, and it's a challenge I gave last week. Jesus is the light to the nations, and not just Israel. Look at verse 30. For my eyes have seen your salvation, verse 31, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, plural, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. This is amazing. This, this guy, just thinking about this, I don't know who this guy Simeon is. This is another guy. I'm going to find Stephen. I'm going to find Simeon and talk with him. It's amazing. Unlike the disciples in, in the Gospels and even Acts, I mean, the apostle Peter doesn't even get this in, in, in um, Galatians. He's rebuked by Paul. Stop treating the Gentiles differently. Unlike the disciples, unlike most of the Pharisees, unlike the scribes, unlike the religious leaders, unlike most Christians today, Simeon gets it. He knew his Old Testament. He knew that the Messiah would be a light to all peoples, all nations. Listen, church, this is our calling, Right? It's our calling to take the gospel to the nations. This leads to the third point. The third point is this. The glory comes from Israel. The glory comes from Israel. The third truth. You guys heard I had three points. You're thinking we're not getting out of here at all. The glory comes from Israel. Look at the last part of verse 32. And for the glory to your people, Israel. Jesus has made this clear in the Gospels. When the woman at the well, John 4, he said, salvation is from the Jews. Salvation is from the Jews, right? God picked the Jews. God picked the Jews and said, salvation is coming from you. From the line of Abraham. From the line of Isaac. From the line of Jacob. From the line of Judah. From the line of Boaz and Ruth. From the line of Jesse. From the line of David. 
That's why Matthew starts with a genealogy. I mean, think about that. The New Testament, the first words that are written is a genealogy. It's a genealogy. Because Israel was waiting for, for the comfort, right? They were waiting for the Messiah. They were waiting for the consolation of Israel. And one night, it's amazing, right? As we celebrate Christmas, one night, over 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem, of all places, in, in, in a stable of all places, the waiting was over. Salvation was here. And a little baby boy named Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I... I just feel the weight, Lord, uh, of, of the reality of what it means that that the, the second member of the Trinity would come down and, and be a baby. Or how, how do you even get your mind wrapped around that, Lord? But if that wasn't crazy enough that... that that he would live, would be born in a stable and live with us, live, live to a poor family, would walk with us, would share our burdens, would have the same, same temptations and struggles, Lord. That's incredible. But more incredible than that is that he would go to the cross and die for our sins. Lord, help us be blown away by that. We celebrate Christmas, Lord, in a few days, and, and we think about the little baby. Help us not to forget the cross. Help us not to forget the, the weightiness, the reality of, of who Jesus is and what he did in his life and, and what he did for us on the cross, Lord. Let this be a joyous season. As we know, we have peace, we have comfort because of what Jesus has done. Our sins are forgiven. Lord, we, we are destined to, to spend eternity with you for those that have put their faith in your son, Lord. Help us to be joy-filled with that, Lord. But I pray for those that are in this room right now that don't know you. Don't let them leave this room without, without pulling on their heart, Lord, without changing the heart of stone to a heart of flesh and without them putting their faith in you, Lord. I pray for them this morning, Lord, that they would know you. In your son's name, amen. Merry Christmas.